0: Welcome to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality Podcasts. I'm Jackie Parry and it's good to have your company. Today I'd like to take you back to 1820 and introduce you to Captain Jane Thorne. Today's episode is brought to you by Sister Ship Press, who are passionate about writing and are excited about books. It is 1820 and a young female sea captain sets sail aboard the schooner Destiny bound for the sugar plantations of Cuba and then on to Baltic for iron. Political intrigue and mystery dog the voyage and those who underestimate the captain's skill and business acumen do so at their peril. This is a historical nautical fiction With a fresh new take, Destiny's Gold author Pamela Grimm has created an indomitable female character and a storyline that keeps you guessing. Pamela combines her love of maritime history with experience as a commercial and recreational captain to bring to life the golden age of merchant sailing ships in the person of Captain Jane Thorne and her loyal crew.
1: Destiny's Gold by Pamela Grimm. Chapter 1 First Day Muster. New York Harbor, May 1820. You're going to have trouble with that one, Captain. Captain Thorne turned to look at the man in question. Tall and broad shouldered, he seemed healthy and strong enough. With the jaunty air of the seasoned sailor, he was tossing water barrels to one of the ship's boys, who rolled them down the ramp into the hold. Seems hardy enough, Mr. Galsworthy. Where's the trouble lie? I don't like the look of him, Captain, especially when you came on deck this morning, and he seemed right put out that the rumors were true. Galsworthy twisted his cap in his hands as he muttered the last bit. He never liked reminding the captain that the master of the schooner, Destiny, was gossiped about in every East Coast port from Maine to New York. The rumor that we're sailing shorthanded to Cuba? or that I really do wear a skirt under my great coat? Yes, ma'am, the, well, the skirt thing, if you, if you don't mind my saying, Galsworthy choked out. Sometimes he thought it'd be all be easier if she would just pretend to be a man the way so many seafaring women did. Well, he won't be the first son of a sea-cook to swallow his opinions for the sake of a generous pay packet. Jane Thorne, master of the schooner Destiny out of New York, found that Muster Week helped reveal the weaknesses in the new crew. Insubordination, laziness, ineptitude, the three deadly sins of the sailor, reared, the, reared their heads quickly when recruits were put through their paces the first week aboard. Men who had looked strong and hardy on the dock, and came with good references, showed their true metal once aboard, and sent aloft to repair the rigging. Under the watchful eye of second mate Galsworthy, the men had been rousted out of their hammocks at dawn to start preparing the destiny for departure. During the next seven days, they would either come together as a crew or be put ashore to find another berth. Captain Thorn didn't much care which, as long as the men who made up the final roll were competent, loyal, hard-working, and, of course, willing to serve under a woman. The days spent in port preparing for the voyage gave her a chance to find out which of the new hands would be able to accept her as captain, and which would never be able to bring themselves to bow to her command. Turning to face Galsworthy, she asked, What is it about him that gives you pause? I got a good look at you, he curled his lip, and whispered that fella in the red shirt over there. I suspect Seaman Fairchild has little respect for a captain who pisses setting down, ma'am. Fighting to keep her laughter under control, the captain looked out over the crew hard, at work stowing provisions for the coming voyage. The destiny had arrived at her home berth on New York's East River in April, expecting to change out the coastal crew for a new set of hands more experienced in the sailing routes between Europe and the United States. She had taken on a ballast load of logwood a week ago and would be ready to head for the sugar plantations of Cuba as soon as she was fully crewed and her shipping orders had arrived. She was making good use of the interval to effect a number of minor repairs to the spars and rails caused by a storm that caught them as they were making a run for home earlier in the month. Squalls in the North Atlantic didn't usually cause trouble in April, but it seemed like the trade winds had moved up early this year. Jane hoped that wasn't a harbinger of things to come, or the trip up the Atlantic Current on the way to St. Petersburg would be more exciting than usual. Well, Let us see what he's got to say for himself. Bring him to my quarters. Jane was glad to go below and escape the turmoil of the deck. Once at sea, the destiny settled into a quiet routine of watch rotations and sightings. But here in port, the sheer amount of work to be done in a very few days meant the ship was teeming with port officials, delivery men, shop runners, lawyers, insurance brokers, and all of their various assistants, clerks, and other hangers-on. Seeing to the cargo and preparing for departure was the responsibility of the first mate, but Jane found it helpful to set foot aboard from time to time as the work progressed. The chaos, though, was enough to drive a sane woman mad. In the saloon, which served as the navigation station as well as the officer's mess, Jane found first mate Dawkins, hard at work on the ship's manifest. Bent over the table, Dawkins was running his hands through his graying hair as he scratched away at the numbers. With his long legs folded under the carved table and his hair standing on end, he reminded Jane of the grey herons who populated the marshes along the Hudson. He looked up distractedly as she closed the door and turned up the lantern that hung from a bracket above. Leave it for now, Mr. Dawkins. I've got a seaman to interview. Better have the cash box handy. I don't think he's staying. Aye, ma'am. Which one is it? Fairchild. I know you thought he might be worth a trial, but it seems his attitude may be lacking in proper deference to the captain. Unless that land shark Scully can find a replacement, I'm afraid we shall still be down a sailor for the coastal leg, and I had hoped to beat the weather around Hatteras. Crawling the docks of ports, large and small, land sharks scoured the coast, seeking mariners to sign aboard their clients' ships. Jane had lost many a good man to the enticing offers held out by Scully and his ilk, and was no fan of the system. The times were changing, and her family had to change with them or lose their business. Scully had helped fill out her crew for this voyage, but had come up one man short in the end. As a result, Dawkins had been happy to consider the employment of Seaman Fairchild when he had appeared at the Destiny side the evening before, asking to see the first mate. Dawkins had taken a long, hard look at Fairchild's papers and credentials and the letter of recommendation he carried from an old acquaintance of the captain's before deciding to give him a chance. Like the other new recruits, Dawkins had hired him for one week to help prepare the vessel for departure. Should Fairchild prove to be a competent hand, he would sign articles for the voyage with the rest of the men at the end of the week. However, if things went as Jane suspected in the next few minutes, they would soon be short one more able seaman with little time to find a replacement. A sharp knock on the door brought the second mate into the cabin with Fairchild hard at his heels. Jane could see the insolent laughter in the sailor's eyes as he straightened up to his full six-foot height and effected something like a half-salute in her direction. Curious to find out just how much cockiness he thought he could get away with, she waited calmly until he pulled his eyes off the floor and tried staring her down. A lot of cockiness, apparently. Fairchild, is it? Yes, sir. "'Ma'am? Sir?' "'You may call me ma'am. "'If I remember correctly, you came to us with a strong letter of recommendation "'for Captain Jameson of the Betsy Lee. "'William and I have been friends since childhood, and he knows my preferences in men.' "'Fairchild had obviously interpreted her reference to men on a more personal level, "'as witnessed by the smirk that ghosted around the corners of his mouth.' "'What I mean to say is that Captain Jameson "'is well aware of my demands for competence and loyalty "'and a positive attitude with regard to the unconventional nature "'of the officers aboard this vessel. "'Perhaps you can enlighten me as to why he might have considered you "'suitable to my command, Fairchild.' "'I had the pleasure of serving under Captain Jameson "'during his last run from Montreal. "'He spoke kindly of my skills as helmsman during the voyage, "'and he hoped that I might be of able service aboard the Destiny, sir, ma'am.' I see. I understand from Mr. Galsworthy that you had some comments this morning at muster. Perhaps we could prevail upon you to share those thoughts with us. Appearing to consider his options, Fairchild looked around the cabin at the assembled officers. As rumor had it, the captain did indeed wear a skirt under her greatcoat, which, along with her fine features and an auburn plait cascading nearly to her waist, made it clear that the master of the destinies was without doubt a woman but her erect stature and firm brow bespoke a determined captain who had the clear loyalty of the mates who were regarding Fairchild now with unconcealed hostility. Ma'am, I was remarking on the general seaworthiness of this fine vessel and our great fortune to sail with her. Enough! Mr. Dawkins, pay the man off and see him ashore. Jane's patience had run out. Like many others before him, Fairchild thought that a woman would countenance insubordination because she had few choices in crew. He was wrong. Her reputation as a skilled navigator and steady master in the coastal trade meant that many experienced mariners were willing to put aside their prejudices and sign on to sail aboard the Destiny. Reaching into the cash box, Dawkins extracted a week's wages for an able seaman and handed the coins to Fairchild with a sigh. The captain's penchant for fair play meant that the promise of a cash bonus for the muster week would be honored, even for a worthless wharf rat who had worked less than a day. "'Shift your legs, man,' Galsworthy growled as he opened the cabin door. Bending his head to pass through it, Fairchild took the opportunity to scan the captain from head to toe. With a wide grin, he winked at her and was gone.
0: Destiny's Gold is a spell binding historical story with powerful characters, and it's the first book in the Destiny series written and read to you here today by Pamela Grimm. Pamela writes historical maritime fiction based on her lifelong love of sailing and the sea. She holds a USCG captain's license and is active as a commercial and recreational sailor. You can purchase Destiny's Gold from Amazon or contact Sistership Press. Just look up sistershippress.com. I hope you've enjoyed meeting Jane and you continue to follow her adventures. That's all we've got time for today. My name's Jackie Parry and it's been good to have your company. For more stories and great boating tips and advice, head on over to Turning Your Cruising Dreams into Reality Facebook page. I'll catch up with you again soon and I wish you safe sailing.